Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Tonight, I want to share with you a message entitled, Don't Faint. Don't become weary in well-doing. Don't lose heart. Don't cave in. Don't give up. Don't faint. But first, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege of studying your word together tonight. And we do so in the precious name of Jesus and by the power of your Holy Spirit, asking his anointing upon our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, and our minds to be open to the knowledge of the truth that makes us free. We believe we'll be quickened by your word and changed from glory to glory that we might conform to the very image of Jesus and become that for which he shed his blood and apprehended each and every one of us. Thank you for utterance in the Holy Ghost to proclaim truth with power and demonstration to penetrate our very souls and challenge each and every one of us in our Christian lives, walk and experience. And Father, we'll rise up to the challenge and do what you've asked us to do and walk in the light. As he is in the light, we'll give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise, dear Father God, for all that takes place in every heart that's touched and life that's changed in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen and amen. Praise God. Tonight, I want to share with you a challenging message I believe that we all could benefit from, entitled Don't Faint. But look in the book of Galatians, chapter 6 and verse 9 for our opening text. Let us not weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap, and notice that word, if, we faint not, if. One of the worst enemies of excitement and enthusiasm is called time. As human beings, we know that we have a sad capacity to get tired of wonderful things that we experience in life. As a matter of fact, I think all of us can think of something that once we were very excited about, and all of a sudden it's kind of lost its luster or appeal. I remember being on vacation numerous times in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and talking to some of the locals that were down there, you know, in stores and all that, that were selling items in grocery stores and all that. And they mentioned the fact that when they first moved down there, it was exciting for them. They were very enthusiastic about getting down to the beach every day and watching the sunset and the sunrise every day and just thrilled with it and just excited by it. But they said that was when they first came down. And after being there for so many years, it no longer was exciting. It no longer was enthusiastic. It kind of lost its luster because they've been there for so long. They kind of got used to it. As a matter of fact, many of them said, we don't even go down to the beach anymore. Well, I... My point would be this, I don't think the beach changed, I don't think the sunrise changed or the sunset changed or anything like that changed in the environment. What changed? Well, something that was once exciting became boring, I guess, after a while, after they, you know, encountered it for so many times. Well, you think about this also when it comes to a child. 
Maybe at birthday time, they get a birthday present, the most wonderful toy in the world. They get so enthusiastic and excited about it, and they start playing with it. And it's not too many days hence that it's cast aside into a corner somewhere, and they've lost the enthusiasm, and they're looking for something else to excite them, to get enthusiastic about. Guarantee you that the toy itself didn't change. What changed? Human nature is that way. We get thrilled for a time and then all of a sudden we get bored with it or, you know, tired of it and we kind of walk away from it. Well, you know what? As a Christian, the same thing can happen to us. And Paul recognized that in these people at the province of Galatia. He was noticing the fact that they became weary and well-doing. You have to remember this too. Their time was a more challenging time than what we face in a free society living in the United States of America. They had a lot of hardship that they had to endure and go through as soldiers in the army of God. And they began, began to get weary in well-doing. You know, well-doing meaning they began their walk with God with enthusiasm and excitement, doing the work of the Lord, witnessing, sharing, giving, supporting one another, um, all kinds of things that they were doing to advance the kingdom of God upon the earth. And they were strong in their faith walk. They were strong in doing the things that please God. Well, as he began to see them getting weary in their well-doing, he addressed the subject and basically said to them, look, you can't be weary in well-doing. If you want to succeed and experience the blessings and benefits of serving God and of your well-doing, then you can't get weary. You can't give up. You can't faint, lose heart, and throw in the towel, so to speak. Well, I don't know about you, but right now, I'm kind of getting weary wearing a mask. What about you? Walked into a bank the other day, Brother Will and I did, and we had a mask on. But you see, they didn't expect us to rob the bank. We just sat down to get some uh, papers notarized. And then I walked into another establishment. You might maybe not believe this, but it was a pizza shop. And when I walked in there, the fellow behind the counter that was uh, I was going to pay for the pizza, he said, isn't this amazing? You walk here, in here with a mask on and you give me money. Instead of me asking him to give me money. Kind of a crazy thing that we're going through right now in our society. But you know what? Jesus is bigger than it all. Jesus is greater than it all. And let's not get weary and well-doing and serving the Lord and walking with him and carrying out his purpose for our lives. That word if is a big word and it's a small word. It's a small word because there's only two letters in it. But it's a big word because it introduces a conditional clause. If you recall, Jesus said in John 15, 7, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. You shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Notice the word if. There's a condition there. It's conditional based on, are you in him? Is his word living in you? Then ask what you will, and it will be done. Go back to the book of Deuteronomy. We hear the same thing. If you hearken to the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is pleasing in his sight, walk in his ways, and keep his laws, statutes, commandments, and so on, he said these blessings will come upon you and overtake you. But if you don't hearken to the Lord, then these curses will come upon you. Notice the conditional word, if. It's up to us to see to it that we do what is necessary for us to experience the blessings of God. Well, if we want to reap the benefits and blessings of our well-doing in the Lord, then we can't get weary. We can't allow ourselves to faint. We can't give up. We can't lose heart. We can't cast it aside. We've got to see to it. That we are encouraged in the Lord and encourage ourselves in the Lord and continue our well-doing from the beginning of our experience in Christ to the very end. 
As a matter of fact, if you think about it, what God wants is that we start in well-doing, we continue in well-doing, and then we finish in well-doing, so we can hear those wonderful words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of your Lord. No, good works and well-doing doesn't save us, but they're a sign that we are saved and we're walking with God. We were saved for good works, and we know that. But it's important to recognize the fact that because we are human and in our human flesh, if we don't encourage ourselves in the Lord, we can get to the point or place of being weary just like these others were and faint-hearted where we just kind of go through the motions, so to speak, and not really have the excitement and enthusiasm that we once had when we first got saved. When I first got saved, I was set ablaze. I was a house on fire. A joy that was unspeakable was burning in my soul. And I just loved God so much and went to church all the time. I was excited about doing what I could to advance the kingdom, taught a little Bible study, even though I was just wet behind the ears myself. Played my guitar in a church service that I never thought I could do. Anytime the doors were open, I was there at church and just excited about reading the Bible, praying, serving God, getting filled with the Holy Ghost, praying in the Holy Spirit, and doing everything I knew to do to glorify God because of what He did for me. And over the years, if we're not mindful of how we are and where we're at in Christ, we can let some of those things slip. You see, the writer in the book of Hebrews says, don't let these things slip or leak out from your life because it's very easy in the flesh for us to lose that enthusiasm and excitement. So I want to address that tonight and encourage us all to continue in well-doing, serving the Lord with fire and zeal and enthusiasm. So number one, when it comes to, for example, our salvation, look at what Paul was talking about in Galatians chapter 6 and verses 7 and 8. He says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Now just for a moment here, what I'd like to do is share with you a statement made by uh, Charles Finney, who was a preacher in the 1800s, and this is what he wrote about the effects of mocking God. God will not be mocked. To mock God is to pretend to love and serve Him when we do not. It's to act in a false manner, to be insincere and hypocritical in our professions, pretending to obey Him, love, serve, and worship Him when we do not. Mocking God grieves the Holy Spirit and sears the conscience, and thus the bands of sin become stronger and stronger. The heart becomes gradually hardened by such a process. This is what it means that God is mocked. And so we don't want to be guilty of saying one thing and doing another, or losing that fire and that zeal and that enthusiasm that we have or once had in the Lord by letting the things of God slip in our lives. And right now, as you can see, we're in challenging times. One way that we can really get fired up and enthusiastic is coming together week after week, two times, three times a week, whatever it is that we meet, and just really feed off of one another. Bring together the gifts that God has given each and every one of us and applying them to our lives in a corporate setting. Why? So that we can have the glory of the Lord fall among us and the power of God and the anointing of God manifest in us and through us to touch hearts and change lives and to really just fire people up in the Lord. You know what? We can still do that via the internet. We realize that. But still, it's not the same of being together right here in the church service where we can really look to God and lift our hearts to heaven and just let the glory of God fall down. And we're looking forward to that day. Well, our salvation is, not, is the most important thing in our lives. 
God wants us to be zealous about our salvation and serve Him with well-doing all the days of our life, from the beginning, during, and at the very end. So in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 through 10, let's read these words penned by the Apostle Paul. For by, the grace, by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Why? Under good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. We're saved by grace through faith. Why? So we could walk in good works, doing good things. In other words, well-doing in our lives and through our lives. To reach out to people that are hurting and to help them in every way that we possibly can. Pray with other people. Share with other people. Send encouraging statements and cards to other people along the way. We see somebody in need, meet, help meet that need. Give them an offering. Give them a blessing. Whatever it might be. I remember when I first got saved, I didn't really know any of these things. I was just so young in the Lord. But the Lord spoke to me by His Spirit one day, and I had a little bit of money. And He said, take that down to the welfare agency. I want you to give it to somebody that I tell you to give it to. And when I went down there, I was like, oh my goodness, are you serious about, about that? I kind of felt foolish. I kind of felt embarrassed. I was just sitting there waiting for people to come in, watching these people come in and go out and come in and go out. And finally... This, this uh, one girl walked in and she had a, a stroller with a baby in it. He said, now give it to her. I said, oh, okay. So I walked over. Now you imagine this. Walked over with this envelope with some money in it and handed it over to her. She, immediately she starts crying and tearing up. And she was in such dire and desperate need. And then when I told her, well, God loves you. And that's why I'm giving this to you. What an impact it made upon her life. You know what? I do believe that God would lead and direct us in many different ways like this. Just to be a blessing to other people. This is part of the well-doing. And I'm not saying that so I could have a reward from people. I'm just saying that just to give an illustration to let us know. Be open to what God would have us to do. Because sometimes if we don't, as he said, we become seared. And we're not open to it. And we stop doing it. God wants to, us on purpose, be someone who does things well each and every day. Blessing other people, giving other people. But now notice. You could start out this way with this excitement, enthusiasm, and doing this in the lives of other people. But then, look at the book of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. Notice what happened here. They started strong, but down the road something took place. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which has a great recompense of reward. You have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might inherit or receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back into perdition, notice the word perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. It's this group of people that Paul, I believe was the writer of Hebrews, was speaking to about their going back into Judaism after being saved, washed in the blood of the Lamb. Why? Because the going got tough. They lost that zeal. They lost that enthusiasm. They lost that well-being mentality. Now they're concerned about their well-being. They want to go back and drift back. He says you're going back to perdition. There's not, nothing good about that word perdition whatsoever. But he said we're not that way. We got to go forward. So he encouraged them. Don't do that. Pick yourself up. Pull yourself together and go forward. I can be speaking to a lot of us tonight. May you've been going through the motions for a while, especially with all that's going on around us. And you wonder, what's happening? Is Jesus coming soon? We get that question asked all the time. You know what? He knows. 
And the answer to that is be ready. So no matter when he comes, we're ready to go with him. And so he's, I'm sure, getting ready to come at some point in the not too distant future. But he said, look, occupy till I come. No matter what you're going through. Once again, unprecedented times that we've never experienced before. Maybe in other countries, but not in this country where we can't even come together and worship the Lord together. But once again, that's not going to stop us. That's not going to stop God. That's not going to stop the Spirit of God from moving and touching hearts and changing lives that are out there. God wants us to get even more so on fire so that when we come together, praise God, we're going to have a wonderful high time in the Lord our God. Now, over time, people can do exactly what these Hebrew Christians were doing. They lost that enthusiasm. They lost that zeal, just like that child lost his desire to play with the toy. Or like that couple had no longer desire to go down to the beach and watch the sunset or the sunrise. You know, once again, it just became old hat to them. They didn't experience the joy, the excitement that they once had. And once again, nature didn't change. The toy didn't change. The person changed. Well, there's a man named Solomon. You know him as King Solomon. And you know that he was the king, anointed, and he wanted something from God. God wanted to give him something to his choosing, whatever it is that you want. Name it, I'll give it to you. And what does Solomon say? I want wisdom to lead the people. What good is it if I have wealth, strength, power, position, if I don't have the wisdom that I need to direct your people? So he asked for wisdom. What did God give him? Wisdom. But what else did he give him? Everything else he didn't ask for. He said, because you asked for the right thing, I'm going to give you what you didn't ask for. Power. I'm going to give you financial resources and longevity. And you know what? Look it up. It is said that Solomon was worth $2.2 trillion. $2.2 trillion with a T dollars. And that's back when a trillion was a lot of money. You know that. $2.2 trillion. Well, that's a wonderful thing for him. But what happened to him? Over a period of time, this wise man that wrote Proverbs and we believe Ecclesiastes wrote down, penned some wonderful information and direction and understanding that we could all live by, found himself falling victim to what we're just talking about. He began to weary in well-doing. He got to a place where he turned his back on God. As a matter of fact, look at 1 Kings in chapter 11. Look at what it says about the life of Solomon. Some really don't know whether or not he's saved. But listen. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and went not fully after his Lord as David his father. Then did Solomon build in high place for Chemish, the abomination of Moab, in the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon, and likewise did he for all his strange wives which burn incense and sacrificed unto their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. Here is someone with all this wisdom, and what does he do? Turns away from the Lord. He has 700 wives, he has 300 concubines, and he's allowed them to lead them away from the Lord into idol worship, 
even to the point of probably sacrificing children, babies, unto their gods. And God was angry with him, highly upset with him, and commanded him to turn back to him. We don't have a record as to whether he did or not. That's between him and the Lord. But does this happen instantly? Absolutely not. As Paul talked about in Timothy, he said, Some shall depart from the faith. The word depart means inch by inch, little by little, departing from the faith. You see, God doesn't change. His kingdom doesn't change. His glory doesn't change. His appeal doesn't change. But human nature changes. And it gets to the place where people get tired or weary of well-doing, doing the right thing. Some, you see, they start out there in church, they're loving God, serving God, and before too long, they're walking away, not even walking in the things of God. We've recently heard of people that were strong Christians that became atheists on numerous occasions. Imagine that. Hard to imagine, but it's true. We want to protect ourselves so that we don't follow in the footsteps of someone like a Solomon or King Asa. King Asa was one also, king of Judah, who was strong in the Lord when he first started out. As a matter of fact, we have in the book of Second Chronicles a revelation of him standing against the Ethiopians and the Lubims by the power of God. He made an appeal to the living God because there were over a million strong that were coming against him and Judah. And they said, he said to the Lord, we can't, we're no match for this. We're going to get wiped out. We're going to be destroyed. We need your help. So what happened? God sent help and they were delivered. He were, they were delivered from the Ethiopians and the Lubans by the power of God. The hand of God was turned against the enemy. Well, over a period of time, they found themselves in a situation once again where they were going to be at war. But this time, instead of turning to the Lord, they turned to the king of Syria. Actually stole money from the temple treasury to pay him off for protection against the onslaught. God was so upset. Let's read the words in Second Chronicles chapter 16. This is what he said. And at that time, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said unto him, Because thou hast relied on the king of Syria, and not relied on the Lord thy God, therefore is the host of the king of Syria escaped out of thine hand. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge host? With very many chariots and horsemen, yet because thou didst rely on the Lord, he delivered them into thine hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Herein thou hast done foolishly, therefore from henceforth thou shalt have wars." How does this king go from watching the mighty power of God manifest in his life in a glorious way to all of a sudden not even trusting God, not even believing in God, but relying on mere mortal men for his safety and the protection of his people? Little by little, the faith shifts from God to man. What happened to King Asa? You know the story. He was diseased in his feet. And rather than seeking the Lord with enthusiasm and excitement and faith, he seeks the sorcerers and he dies. Imagine someone who once had a vibrant faith, a living faith, serving God, doing well, all of a sudden falls to that depth. Then you've got King Saul. 
What about King Saul, the first king of Israel? Of course, he begins well as well. He's doing the right thing. He is serving God, honoring God with his life. But down the road, what happens? He ends up losing everything he had because he made a decision over this period of time. Well, I'll do part of what God wants me to do, but not all of it. Part of it will be what I want and what maybe the people want. And he got to a place where he was just more honoring the people than he was honoring God. And of course, you understand this. It's God's plan, not ours. Whether you're a king, a pastor, or whoever you might be, even a leader in your home, we want to do it God's way. If we don't do it God's way, then we expose ourselves to the enemy. Well, that's exactly what Saul did. And as a result, he lost his kingdom. He lost his anointing. David became the king after him. Even tried to kill David. But how does one go from that kind of walk with God in the beginning to a place to where all of a sudden now, I'm just going to do it my own way? Well, once again, you get weary in well-doing. And then, of course, there's not enough time to speak about them all. But think about Judas walking with Jesus, walking with the Master, watching him walk on water, multiply food and fish, raise the dead as he did. All the signs, all the wonders, all the miracles. He himself being used of the Lord as they went out two by two and performing signs and wonders of great, God's great mighty and power. How does he go from that place to betraying his very Lord? Once again, human nature. If we're not mindful... We allow the fleshly part of us to kick in and take over and lead us down a wrong path where we, we can become seared in our conscience. Paul talked about like with a hot iron that is, it doesn't affect us anymore as it should, whether it's sin or whatever. Demas is another one. Demas left Paul because he was more concerned about the pleasures of this world. Remember John talked about the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh and pride of life. That became more appealing to him than the things of God. Why? The things of God lost their luster, the excitement, the enthusiasm. And as a result, he straight away went in his own direction, leaving Paul and others. Then, of course, we have Hymenaeus and Alexander. Once again, people starting out in the faith and then all of a sudden coming up with their own ideas, their own doctrine, also leading people astray. Why? Once again, they lose that excitement and enthusiasm for doing it God's way and then yield to the flesh and start doing it their own way. Well, these individuals, it's between them and God as to where they're going to spend their eternity. But once again, I want to challenge all of us because at a time like this, it's important that we evaluate where we're at in our walk with God and rise up to a place where we're challenged to see to it that we're not going to lose our enthusiasm. We're not going to lose our excitement. We're going to walk with God faithfully and honor Him all the days of our life and do what He's called us to do. No matter if it's during this time or if we get a new normal like they're talking about after the COVID-19 is gone from us, which, once again, it's so hard to comment on that because you hear so much about whether it's political, biological, etc., etc., etc. You know what? Our focus should be on the Lord and the power of His might. Our focus should be on walking with God no matter what we have to do and not even complain about doing it this way. At the beginning, you know, I thought this is going to be difficult uh, to do just to preach to nobody, but you're out there, praise God. You're listening to what's going on. And here I've got all your pictures and all the puppets and all that. And you know what? It's exciting. Praise God. Nobody's falling asleep. But nobody's shouting. But still, you're all here. Many of you are here, praise God. And we thank God for what He's doing right here among us right now, whether it's via the Internet, 
or however other way people are listening, thank God that he's bigger and greater than COVID-19. Can you say amen? And then also, second point, sowing to the flesh or to the spirit. When it comes to our salvation, this is important. Look at the book of Galatians chapter 6 and verse 8 once again. Look at this verse. For he that sows to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. Sowing to the flesh would be not well-doing. Sowing to the spirit would be well-doing. You see, part of our well-doing is seeing to it that we continue sowing to the spirit. In other words, engaging in spiritual things and putting them high above fleshly things, not allowing carnality to take over our life, but walking in the spirit with God by the power of the Holy Spirit. Look in Galatians chapter 5. We have an understanding of what Paul was talking about. Look at verse 16. This I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. So there's a warfare that's going on in each and every one of us. You know, when we got saved at the height of our salvation with joy and uh, that's unspeakable and all that, it's like those fleshly things were way, way down. But as time goes on, like we talked about the toy, we talked about the sunset and the sunrise, over time, we could be like these others. That all of a sudden, maybe it's a little bit dull, not as exciting as it once was. It takes more on our part to keep those things at a higher level in our lives. Sowing to the flesh, sowing to the spirit, both have big outcomes. He that sows to the spirit will reap life everlasting. He that sows to the flesh will reap corruption. Now some will say well, that's just talking about physical corruption. I wouldn't want to go down that path. If sowing to the spirit produces eternal life, could it not be he's talking about eternal death and eternal separation from God? Could that be the possibility? So the warfare is taking place. And should we remind ourselves that yes, we're born again, spirit filled, washed in the blood, faith walking, tongue talking, armor bearing, love practicing, devil resisting, living epistles of the living Christ, known and read of all men, serving God faithfully. Remind ourselves that's who we are. But also remember this, the flesh is warring against the spirit. And very subtly over a period of time, it will want to dominate and take over if we cater to it. It's up to us not to cater to it. Look at some of the things that Paul pointed out in verses 19 through 21 when he talked about walking in the flesh. Verse 19, Galatians chapter 5. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murdering, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Catering to the flesh, allowing the flesh to take over and run our lives can also ruin our lives. But then go on, look at the next uh, section of scriptures, verse 22, uh, starting with verse uh, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is, this is well-doing. Catering to the Spirit is well-doing. Fruit of the Spirit is what? Walking in love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, temperance, against such there is no law. So if we find ourselves more catering to those manifestations of the flesh, those fleshly works, 
That should be a red flag to all of us. Step back over here and start allowing the spirit on the inside to live within us. Walk in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, temperance, and faithfulness in our service to God. And you'll be yielding yourself to the spirit and not to the flesh. Look at verses uh, 22 and 23. And they that, ha that are Christ's, do we belong to Christ? Have crucified the flesh. That doesn't sound e anything that's delightful. Sounds painful to me. Crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. If we have life in the Spirit, then walk that life out. Praise God so that the flesh is not dominating our lives. So it's up to us to crucify or to put to death what the flesh wants to do. Look at verses 24 and 25. So we've crucified the flesh, we're walking in the Spirit, we've overcome the flesh, we're not letting the flesh overcome us or take charge over our lives. We are yielding to the Spirit, and that's called well-doing. Now, how are we going to prevent ourselves from fainting and basically giving up, losing heart, caving in under the pressure of what we're facing in this life? Well, it's very simple. Number one, look to Jesus. Look in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. Here we have an understanding of um, our walk and the race that we're in and the fight that we're fighting. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a crowd of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And here it is. Looking unto Jesus. Focusing on Jesus. I want you to know something. It's not all these people that are there on television, televangelists or whoever. It's not even me as your pastor. It's focusing on Jesus. My job is to really present you to Jesus and present Jesus to you. To lead you to Jesus. It's not a man. It's the man. The Son of God. Jesus. Looking to Him. He's the author of our faith. He's the finisher of our faith. And who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him that endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself, lest you be, notice, wearied and faint in your minds. Wearied and faint. They were getting weary, and they were about to faint. You have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Now remember, Jesus is our example. No man is our example other than the man, the Son of God. We look to Him. We draw from His energy. We draw from His strength. We see what He did looking beyond the cross. He saw every single one of us with joy in His heart and was glad to die for every one of us so that we could have life and we become the sons and daughters of the Most High God. Look to Him. We don't strive unto blood against sin as He did in the garden, as He did upon Calvary's cross. He's our example. So no matter what we face in this life, it can't compare to what Jesus did so we can become children of the Most High God. You know what? God wants our allegiance. He wants us to live for Him. He wants our sanctification. He wants us to walk with Him. He wants us to have a high energy in our service to Him. Why? He did so much for us. It's a little thing that we could do for Him. Look next in John's Gospel, chapter 14. How are we going to prevent ourselves from fainting and losing heart and caving in and giving up? Well... We need the power and presence of the Spirit of Almighty God. Jesus, before He left, He said, I'm going to pray the Father, and He shall give you another comforter, that He may abide with you forever. The word comforter there is the word paraclete in the Greek, and what it means is 
comforter, counselor, helper, advocate, intercessor, strengthener, and standby. In other words, I'm not leaving you helpless. I'm not leaving you on your own. No, no, no. I am coming in the person, presence, and power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to indwell you. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to equip you. I'm going to enable you to rise up above the works of the flesh, the powers of darkness, the influence of the world. We need to appeal to the Holy Spirit. And if you haven't been filled with the Holy Ghost, Acts 2.8, you need to get filled with the Holy Ghost and power so that you can have that fire inside as well as on you. And then next, look at Luke 18 and verse 1. How are we going to rise up above the temptation to falter, to become tired, to cave in, to quit, to give up, and all that, and weary and well-doing? It says it right here. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and to faint not. If anything, we're at home more than we have been probably for the longest time in our lives, for a long while. We're at home. What we're doing at home? Give ourselves to prayer. Give ourselves to seeking the face of God. Reading the Bible. Calling upon that wonderful name of Jesus. Praying in the Holy Ghost about what we're going through right here and right now. And I guarantee you, it'll do a whole lot more than anything you could possibly do. But if we're not going to faint, we're going to have to pray. And once again, praying in the Holy Ghost is more important, I do believe, than anything else. When you say, what do you mean by praying in the Holy Ghost? Praying in the Spirit. Praying with other tongues as the Spirit of God gives utterance. There are three manifestations of tongue revealed to us in the Bible. The main one being our prayer language, which, which talking about it's the inspiration that we get by the Spirit to speak to God in a language that He understands that we may not understand. So it's a devotional tongue. Then we have sign tongues. Then we have ministry tongues. And people get them confused. Ministry tongues. You're in a public ministry, obviously. And uh, there's a different, let's say, laws that, that pertain to that. But then you've got sign tongues. On the day of Pentecost, those were sign tongues. Where they spoke in the languages of the people that were there. They heard them magnify God. But then you got devotional tongues. And that's where every believer should be filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking with devotional tongues, so they could pray in a pure, unadulterated language before God. Why? To bring in His will into manifestation on earth among men. So that's just a quick synopsis of it. But praise God, if we'll get involved in doing it, it'll bless you. Then... Look at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28. They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. But let's read it all. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, feigneth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He gives power to the faint, to them that have no might. He increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up wings with eagles as, as eagles, and they shall run and not weary, and they shall walk and not faint. If we want to walk with the Lord and not faint, praise God, what does he say? Intermingle with Him. Have times of devotion with Him. Get before His presence. Interact with Him. Worship Him. Bless Him. Read the Word. Confess the Word. Declare the Word. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Spend some time just in intimacy with Him. And what happens? There's a divine exchange that takes place. His strength for our strength. And what a pleasure it is to release our strength and grab a hold of His. What will happen? We won't faint. We won't lose heart. And then finally, look at Second Corinthians chapter 4. And this is an exciting thing. 
How are we going to stand firm and stand strong no matter what we're going against? How are we going to prevent ourselves becoming weary and fainting, caving in, losing heart and giving up? Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise us up also by Jesus and shall present us with you for all things are for your sakes that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God for which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, this inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding internal way to glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal or subject to change, and the things that are not seen are eternal or not subject to change. What's he talking about? Looking to God's grace in God's glory that we have on us and that we have within us. Not looking at the things that are around us that are pulling us down and tearing us apart, but looking on the inside, all that we have in us, empowered by God to serve Him and walk with Him in this life, in this world, no matter what it is that we face. Remember the Apostle Paul, how many times he was challenged along the way, but he said, by the grace of God, I am who I am, And I can do what I can do. He was one who said, I'm more than a conqueror through him that loves me. Even though he faced all kinds of terrible temptations and situations of persecution in his life. How did he do that? By the grace of God, he said, that's within me. By the glory of God that rested upon him. Beloved, if you and I had this outward man stripped away from us, the grace and glory of God would shine bright. So much so that we would never be able to even tolerate it. But it's on the inside of us. We've got this glory in an earthen vessel. Jars of clay inside of each and every one of us. You know what? It's time to get more enthusiastic. It's time to get more excited. It's time to get more fired up. Believe God for the glory to fall and to rise up big within our lives. Say no to the devil. Say no to the world. Say no to the flesh. And say, yes, I want to walk in the fullness of what God has provided for me in Christ Jesus, my Lord. And be empowered by His Spirit, praise God, to to do great exploits for the living God that I serve. They that are strong in the Lord will do exploits, praise God. So in conclusion, it's not how we start our race. It's how we finish our race. You see, there's so much to be done in this world today. And there's so much opposition that's coming against us. But you know what? We've been empowered to rise up above it all. God has a work that needs to be done. I believe Jesus wants to come back. Before he comes back, there are many that have to get saved. It's up to us, praise God, to take our place, to be the church, to give voice to the word of God, to reach up by the power of the Spirit through signs, wonders, and miracles. No matter what, praise God, I believe someday soon we're going to be able to walk in stores and lay hands on people wherever it is that we go once again. But praise God, until that time, we're just going to believe just like Joseph did. Remember Joseph? Went to the pit, went to the prison before the palace. We're not going to cave in. We're not going to give up. We're not going to lose heart. We're not going to allow ourselves to do what? Faint. Give up. And be overcome. No, we're going to be like Joseph was. And the others, like Jesus and Paul, that saw it through to the end, praise God. We're going to say, greater is he that's in us than he that is in this world. It doesn't matter what we face, the greater one is on the inside of us. And he's going to see us through. He'll help navigate us through what we're going through with COVID-19 or whatever it is the enemy throws our way because we serve a risen Savior and a victorious God. So thank God for the victory that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Well, I pray that's blessed you and encouraged you to rise up no matter where you're at. Do a self-examination. Where's your enthusiasm level? Where's your excitement level? Once again, get excited about going back to the beach and watching the sunset and the sunrise. Get excited about playing with that thing you used to play with. Remember why you were so excited about it at that time. Get excited about the fact that you're born again, washed in the blood of the Lamb. And you've got the Holy Ghost inside you. You're filled with the living God. Amen. You're the temple anywhere and everywhere you go in this life. So, Father, we just thank you. We love you. We bless you. Father, may your fire, the zeal of your presence, consume each and every one of us. You're a consuming fire. May it burn up the chaff from our lives. May those that are sitting, dear Father God, right now before you, and maybe under conviction, just know how much you love them and care for them. And right now, you're ready to burn the chaff from the life. That they could once again rise up with the fires of enthusiasm in service to you. May that fire fall on me. May that fire fall upon all of us, all of us here in leadership. And may it fall upon every individual at the sound of my voice. Just go ahead and lift your hand to heaven. Say, let your fire fall. Father, let the refiner's fire fall upon me. Let it burn up the chaff from my life. I will not falter. I will not faint. I will not give up. I will not lose heart. Oh, let your spirit just raise me up like you raised up Ezekiel, praise God, and put him on his feet with a flaming fire within his soul. And like the fires of enthusiasm within Jeremiah the prophet who said it's a fire in my bones, praise God, i got to proclaim the word of God. Oh, hallelujah. Father, thank you right now for taking us to higher levels in you as a church, as a body of believers that we might witness for Jesus in this lost and needy world. We'll give you all the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God.